The epistle reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but not of my own will. I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please rise. All right, if you could look at the 1 Corinthians 9 reading with me, that's the um, uh, epistle reading. And uh, we'll pick up a kind of from last week, although the lectionary leaves out uh, a chunk of section in here, which I'll, I'll recount to you real quickly if I can. But you remember, you remember, you'll remember that Paul's argument last week is that love trumps personal rights. That we have rights. Uh, uh, God has given us rights in Jesus Christ. But when it comes down to using your rights versus um, loving somebody else for whom your rights might cause them to sin. Remember, he's talking about eating meat offered in temples. I won't go back and rehash that whole argument again. But uh, when, when it comes down to it, using your rights, exercising your rights at the expense of other people who might be, might be tempted to sin because you're exercising your rights is wrong. That love for them trumps your rights. And now in chapter nine, he's gonna give kind of a long illustration of what that looks like in his own life. And so we're not... Verses 1 through 15 of chapter 9 is not in your bulletin because it wasn't in the lectionary. But I'm going I'm to recount it for you here. Paul's basically going to say this. I have rights as a preacher of the gospel. And one of those rights is that I deserve to be paid for preaching the gospel. But I'm going to take that right and I'm going to put it away for your sake. And he says this. I'm an apostle. Haven't I seen Jesus? Aren't you guys my workmanship in the Lord? This is my defense to those who would examine me. Don't, don't I have a right, he says, to eat and drink? Don't I have a right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord, and so to travel with the family? Uh, I, Peter does that. He says Cephas does that. The other brothers of the Lord do that. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who goes to war and pays for that himself? The country pays for that. And here I am, I'm preaching the gospel. You guys, by rights, should be paying my expenses. But he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to insist upon that. I'm going to give up that right for you. We have not made use of this right, he says down in verse 12. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. 
In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, Moses says. In other words, you should, if somebody's working for you, you should pay them. But he says, to wrap up in verse 15, I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. And then that gets us into the lectionary reading. This, this is an illustration he's using. His main point here was not, you guys should start paying me. His main point is to illustrate what it looks like to give up your rights to love other people. And so that gets us into our reading for this morning. Paul basically says in this reading, which emphasizes what he said in last week's reading, is I have rights, but I give up all those rights. So what does it mean to have rights if you're giving up all those rights? If if you've given up the rights, then you don't have the rights. Paul says, no, you actually do have the rights still, but you give those rights over to other people. And when I was preparing this week, I couldn't help but thinking of uh, Martin Luther's famous quote in his essay on Christian liberty, which is not going to help explain too much, but it will put these two thoughts together in such a way that will force us to say, I have rights. If your temptation is to say, well, Christians don't have rights, to say, no, Christians do have rights. Or if your, t- if your temptation is to say, I'm a Christian, I've got rights. No, Christians don't have rights. Both these things are true. Luther said, some of you heard this before, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. A Christian is both subject to none and subject to all. A Christian is both a perfect Lord and a perfectly dutiful servant. And both of those things have to be true if we're going to understand what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 9. So we'll use that saying as kind of a, uh, of a coat hook. And if what we're thinking doesn't put together both of these ideas, then we're off on the wrong track. But how do those ideas go together? Okay, two things here this morning. The gospel calls us to give up our rights and love for each other. Let's talk about that, what that means. And then the gospel calls, up, calls us to give up our rights and love to win the world. So first of all, the gospel calls us to give up our rights and love for each other. Look at verses 16 through 18. And I'm gonna, I know these are kind of confusing a little bit. I'm going to read these and try to explain these as best as I can. Paul says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So Paul says, I don't really have a right to say, I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that makes me kind of a big deal. Or I should get credit for that, or I should get paid for that, because honestly, I couldn't stop preaching the gospel. Like, it's, it's a necessity. We don't know if he means it's a necessity because he's been called to preach the gospel, or like psychologically, it's like bursting out of him. He can't, he can't keep it in. But either way, what he's saying is, I can't stop it, and so I shouldn't get credit for it if I do it, right? Keep on going here. For if I do this of my own will, if I preach the gospel of my own will, I have a reward. So if this is my choice, and I'm like, this is Paul, I'm deciding I'm going to do this, and uh, this, is my, this is my work, I'm going to do it. I have a reward. Now, that just means paycheck. I deserve a paycheck. And you could be like, what's the reward? And like, it's just the same word for like wages. If this is my job, and it's my decision, and I'm doing it, I deserve a paycheck for doing it. That's the way economies work. If you, if you decide I'm going to work, you get offered a job, you decide I'm going to work at this job, uh, you get a paycheck. But he says, if it's not of my own will, it's not something I've decided I'm going to do. Paul didn't decide he was going to be a preacher of the gospel. It was decided for him by God on the Damascus road. I still, I, 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 it's not of my own will, but I'm still entrusted with the stewardship. I still do it, 
But now I can't look for a wage because a wage is for those who've decided to do something. It's their job, they're doing, it's their work that they're offering. It's not my work, he says. I don't deserve to get paid for it, but it is my stewardship going on, verse 18. What then is my reward? What's my paycheck? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. As a preacher, I deserve to get paid, but I'm not going to get paid for the gospel. I'm gonna refuse to accept money for the gospel because that's not what the gospel is. The gospel at its heart is the good news that God has freely given us salvation in Jesus Christ. If I give you that good news, Paul says, and then I say, but you have to pay me, what I'm doing is I'm undermining this. I'll just give you a super quick example. Uh, I baptized somebody, uh, it was back in, uh, th- this summer, not a member of our church, actually, uh, kind of in between uh, Roman Catholicism and getting out of Roman Catholicism. Family got a hold of me and said, will you baptize our kid? I said, absolutely. We talked about what baptism is and what it isn't. I told them, you baptize your baby, but this is also a part of like a journey of faith, right? The child must grow up believing the promises that are embedded within baptism, so you need to be in church. And they said, okay, we'll do this and uh, baptize them. And at the end of the service, um, the, the father of the baby said to me, how much do I owe you for that baptism? And I said, no, 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 no. I can't, pay, I can't charge money for baptism. I can't, I can't offer the gospel and then say, well, there's a fee on that. Because the gospel is about the free grace of God, not about like, well, this is a service that the church provides and you know, I'll give you the fee chart. And uh, you, know, you got baptized by yourself. If you had doubled up with somebody else, it'd be, it'd be you know, cheaper. But since you got baptized, you got the whole deal, so you could pay full price. That would actually be undermining the gospel. So does the church have a right to charge for baptisms? But Paul, Paul would say no, because the gospel is free, and, and, and you can't do that. Let me, talk, let me stop and talk about, for a second, what, what, what does this mean about I'm, I'm going to get back to preaching the gospel in a minute too, but let me, let me take a break and talk about what is the gospel cutting at here, the heart of the, the gospel is, it's, it's like a knife, and it's cutting out the heart of something that's super important to the way we human beings understand relationships. And we have to, if you get what Paul's saying, you'll see that he's, 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 giving, you, he's giving us a picture of a radically different way of relating to each other. That's not the normal human way. And we Christians, a lot of times, we, just go, we default to the normal human way instead of thinking about relationships in a gospel-centered way. Let me talk about how he's doing that. If my individual rights, remember that's kind of like what he's talking about here in chapters eight, nine, into 10, actually. Actually, all the way into 14, to be honest with you. Um, if individual rights are the most important value that we have, How do you protect your individual rights and still have necessary relationships, right? You're gonna need to buy deodorant. How do you create a relationship with someone who sells deodorant in a way that preserves your own individual rights? You're gonna need, I don't know, you're gonna need friendship maybe. How are you gonna be friends with somebody in a way that preserves your own individual rights? You're gonna need a job. How, how do you have a job in a way that preserves that you don't lose your individual freedoms and rights? How, how do you do that? Now, the answer throughout human history has been you need to find some kind of currency 
that, you, that will function as a way to exchange some sort of item or good, but doesn't give up part of yourself, right? I mean, slavery is the, obviously what we're fighting against here. Like a slave gets clothing and food, but the slave doesn't really get them. The slave doesn't belong to himself. He belongs to a master. He loses all of his individuality as a way to not starve. In the ancient world, that's the way it worked as well. What we do, though, is we take money and we say, okay, so I, I, I want a candy bar. You're selling me a candy bar. And the way for me to get the candy bar from you, but in a way that preserves my own individual rights, is I, I don't debase myself for you. I don't say, you own me now. I just need that candy bar. I have, like, cash. Like, can I give you a dollar? And you give me the candy bar. And the dollar says this. I'm just going to give you this dollar, nothing of mine, nothing of, of me personally. I will give you one dollar, and you must give me that candy bar. Because that says a dollar up on your sign there for the candy bar. And you will say, okay, I will give you this candy bar and no more, because all you're giving me is a dollar for the candy bar. And what happens is, is you keep your own individualism, I keep my own individualism, and we've used currency to make sure that we protect ourselves, but... You need to sell the candy bar to make money. I need the candy bar because candy bars are delicious. And the currency allows us to do that. This is the way it's always worked. The currency functions as a way to preserve our individualism. But Paul is saying this, that as Christians, using currency undermines the gospel. Using currency undermines the gospel. Am I talking about candy bars? I, I might be talking about candy bars. I don't have a right to charge you for candy bars. Oh, I'll explain exactly what I mean. Actually, let me do it this way. Let, let, let me make one more statement about what I'm talking about, and then I'll give you an example about me personally. Currency undermines the free offer of the gospel. If our relationships with each other are going to be gospel-flavored, it means I'm not allowed to use currency to get you to do what I want so that I preserve my freedom from you and you preserve your freedom from me. We can keep each other at arm's length. The gospel says no. I have to give you everything that belongs to me. It all belongs to you. And everything that you have belongs to me. That's what Christian community is. And it's completely free. And love, of course, is the driving motive behind this. I don't steal all your candy bars because I have a right to steal all your candy bars because you belong to me. Because love says no. Your rights are my business. And my rights are your business. My rights are not my business. And your rights are not your business. I don't know if that makes sense. Rubber hits the road. Let me talk about me. Because maybe this is, I know some of you are thinking this, and uh, you should be thinking it probably. So, Aaron, does 1 Corinthians 9 mean that St. James shouldn't pay you? That you should say, I will preach the gospel for free? Does 1 Corinthians 9 mean that? And the answer is, yes. The answer is yes. I cannot charge you for preaching you the gospel. And one of the things this has not happened here, but, but so I'm going to just say this. This is the lectionary for today. I did not bring this up. As, I did not choose this text as a way to say, this is how I want to tell them, like, you don't pay me enough money. You guys have been, always been super generous with me. I have no complaints. I'm not preaching this because there's any sort of, like, issues underlying here that I need to address. It's just the lectionary reading that came up. I'm not really interested in me and my paycheck right now. There's other fish that I want to fry, but that's the one that Paul uses, so we're going to use it first. Just don't, don't take it too personally, okay? Uh, here's what I'm saying. I should be preaching the gospel to you guys for free. 
I should be preaching the gospel to you guys for free. Conflicts between pastors and churches frequently happen because they start thinking of, and the pastor starts thinking of his church as the bosses that pay his paycheck. And the church starts thinking of the pastor as, well, we pay you money, so you have to do this stuff. The money becomes a currency, right? So, so wait, we're paying him all this money. I don't know why he doesn't do what we ask him to do. That's one way it comes out from the congregation side. From the pastor side, it can be like, jeez, oh, I'm sick of this. They don't pay me enough money to do this. And that happens. This happens. Both of these, happens in church, both of these happen in churches because they start thinking of that money as currency. And instead, here's the way it should work. And here's the way I want it to work here. I, wanna, I want to not be paid for preaching the gospel to you. It's completely free. But also, I want you guys to care enough about me and my family that you're gonna make sure that we don't starve. You, you do not need to make me rich. But uh, if I'm gonna preach the gospel to you, it's great if you care. But if you decide we can't, we can't afford it, I should say, okay, I understand. I wasn't here for the money anyway. I should give this to you free of charge. And what that means is I'm not relating to you as you don't own me via money. You own me via love. And I, you don't owe me a paycheck. You owe me love. That's my reward. And I don't, I'm not the boss of you. I don't own you except for via love. Our relationship is not bound by the American dollar. Our relationship is bound by the Holy Spirit and the love that Christ won for us on the cross. That binds us together in ways that like this, the whole money situation just, you have to have money, right? And I'm not talking about money this morning, but the Bible insists that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so money does, it's, money's not evil. It functions as a, as a barometer for where your heart is. And as long as I've been here, your guys' heart has been for me and Angela and our kids. I have zero complaints. So I'm not bringing this up as an example of how we, we should do better in paying me or anything like that. Not at all. In fact, you guys probably pay me too much. Uh, I regret saying that out loud, even as the words escape my lips. But, but, I, but honestly, I do not want our relationship to be... Okay, so what does that have to do with you guys? Let's not talk about my paycheck. Let's, let's talk about your paycheck. Well, also money. For those of you who pay people at your job and for those of you who are paid by people at your job, and, and some of you are in between, some of you get a paycheck from up above, and you also are responsible for paychecks down below. Even for your unbelieving employees to stop thinking of it as, well, this is a transaction where you can preserve your individual, but this place should be a community. This place should be a family. We should be seeking to take care of each other here. That's one way. Money's not the only currency out there, though. You guys know this. I was talking with somebody very recently who started dating someone, and uh, they were dating this person, and the person wanted to know, uh, when are we going to have sex? And the person I was talking to is a Christian and said, I I'm not going to have sex with you until we're married. And the person said, well, then we're breaking up. And they broke up. Now, what was that person using sex as? A currency. I have my individualism. You have your individualism. We will use sex as a way to make an exchange here, but protect ourselves. And this, she was saying, 
No, it's not going to be a currency. We will have sex when I have all of you. When you give yourself to me in covenant commitment, and there's no holds barred, when you make the promise, I'll never, ever leave you, then we can do this. But he said, no, I'm leaving. Why? Was it, I mean, one way to look at it is this. What's more important to him? Is individualism or her? Well, it's clear. He was using the currency to say, when push comes to shove, I will check out if I don't get what I want. This happens also in marriages, too. Uh, uh, husbands and wives use intimacy as a tool to control. Either the giving or the withholding becomes a way to protect your individualism, to get your rights, to get your, what you deserve at the expense of the other. Power, is, it's, not just, it's not just money, it's not just sex, but believe it or not, if you've been around here for a while, it's also power, it is also a tool that we use. All of us know somebody, some of us are these people, who perfectly nice, perfectly wonderful people to be with until you're in a meeting and they disagree with you and then it's over. They're gonna go after you. They're gonna cut you off. They're not gonna make eye contact with you for three months because you've gotta pay a price for crossing them. And what are they doing? They're using power as a currency. I will be in a relationship with you as long as you do what I want. And as soon as you don't do what I want, currency withdrawn. I'm not going to give you the relationship. Christians should not relate to each other based on the currency of money, sex, or power. Christians should relate to each other based on the currency of the gospel. Shouldn't even use the word currency there because it gives the wrong flavor. Based on the free gift of the gospel. Always. Now, what's the heartbeat of this? Why is this the case? Why are Christians called to be like this? Because at the very heart of the gospel is the God who completely gave himself up for us. No questions asked. He did not ask for money. He did not ask for sex. He did not ask for power. Instead, he gave. He completely emptied himself. Paul, the, the best text for this, and I, I, I try not to quote this text too much because it's so good and it's right at the heartbeat of the gospel. Paul in Philippians 2 says this, have this mind among yourselves. This is the way he wants the Christian church to relate amongst themselves, which is in Christ Jesus. It's yours in Christ Jesus. And he says this, who... Though Jesus was in the form of God, Jesus was in the category of God, that's his rights. He's the creator of the world. He has the right to all the worship, all the glory, all the money, all the power in the world, Jesus did. Yet, he did not count that equality with God as something to be grasped, to be held onto. But instead, what did he do? Instead of demanding his rights, he emptied himself of his rights by taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on, a, on the cross. His self-giving love. He gave his own blood for us. He did not demand rights, but he gave rights. And by doing that, he made his own rights permanent and concrete. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. He, he, he solidified his own rights by giving them up. Look, my rights are never more precious to me, should never, more, should never be more precious to me than when my rights are being enjoyed by benefiting you. What is this so dark and twisted about humans that says, my rights are no more enjoyable than when I know they're taking away your rights? I, I'm, never, I'm never happier making money than when I know that you're losing that money that I'm making. I'm never happier getting power for myself when I know that you're losing power, when I'm winning the game. And with the gospel, at the, the very heart of the cross, the God who sacrifices himself for us, 
is this truth that the greatest power that you'll ever have, the, 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 the greatest rights that you'll ever have is when you completely give them up in the name of Jesus to others. This is why we're so unhappy. This is why we're so alienated from each other, so disenfranchised, so discouraged at our own finances, so discouraged at our own sex lives, so discouraged at our own lack of power is because we've grasped onto these things, made them the most important, and then we look at them in our hands and think, this is pretty lousy, when instead we should have been giving, giving, giving all the time, giving money to others to love and serve others, giving our sexuality to our spouse to love and to serve them, giving our power away for others to enjoy and use it to benefit the whole. If we did that, we'd think, man, we are the richest, most relationally satisfied, most powerful people in the whole world. Because that's what happened to Jesus on the cross and from the empty tomb. That's the economy that Jesus wants us as the Christ community to live in, giving up our rights to become the servant of all and thus getting those rights back, but in a far different, far more beautiful, more flowering, more shinier, more fundamental form than when we thought that we could only have them by grasping onto them. One last thing will be done because Paul doesn't stop there. It's not just about giving up our rights for the sake of the Christian community. It's also about giving up our rights to win the whole world. And that, that's the, you know, we love each other and the best way for the world to come to Christ is to be welcomed into this love community where we give, freely give to each other and enjoy each other. That's what Paul's point is in verses 19 through 23. Let me read it here for you. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant of all, servant to all, that I might win, uh, win more of them. And just keep that word win in your mind. He's gonna use it five times here in the next few verses. Winning people to Jesus. It's a, it's a contest. It, it, not a contest, but it's a reward for winning a contest. Paul thinks of it, and, and he's gonna go there at the end of the chapter. It's like an athletic event where the prize that, the, the, the prize that Christians are exercising for, the prize that Christians are running the race for, the prize that, the, the prize that Christians are prize fighting for is the souls of those who don't know Jesus. This is what's trying to be won here. Back to verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, he means that that's another word for um, uh, maybe like pharisaical Jews. Jews who are like the law is their identity. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. So I have rights, I'm not under the law, but I gave up those rights. I became as one under the law in order to win those who were under the law. Verse 21, to those outside the law, Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. Now this brings us back to chapter eight, doesn't it? Because that's what he's going for. The strong Christians should not cause the weak Christians to sin by exercising their freedom to eat meat that's offered to idols when the weak Christians think, I don't know if we should do that. Even though the strong Christians are right and it's just meat and it doesn't matter. They still should not use that right to cause the weaker to sin. This is where Paul's headed. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I've, become, I've given up all my rights, everything of who I am to become whatever anybody else needs me to be in order that I might win them five times, and then the last time he says, save. My goal is to give up everything. Now, I'm, Paul, Paul Paul's, I wish Aaron's goal was too. You guys can pray for that. Paul's goal is to give up everything about who he is in order to win other people. Now, what does this look like? I'll give you three things here, three kind of practical ways that we can do this. One is to realize that we are not the main characters in evangelism. 
In evangelism, we point to Jesus, not ourselves. For a lot of Christians, evangelism is about proving other people to, 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 to outsiders that we're right and they're wrong. And obviously, if you know Jesus, that's, that's true. You, you, those of you who are Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's a true fact. But evangelism is not about trying to argue other people that they're wrong and that you're right. It's a presentation of Jesus. The point is not that you agree with me. I, I listen to a lot of uh, uh, podcasts with, with Christians talking with unbelievers. Uh, and I, I can point you to, to some of these if you want to. And, and the best of them are those, the best, the, the best Christians who do this are, are those who don't ever talk about like, well, this is what I believe, right? That, that's a kind of a currency. Well, you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe. That's a way that we can both say, we've got cash in the game, but you got your individual rights. I've got my number individual rights. They never actually put their own cash on the table. Instead, they say, well, the Bible says that Jesus says this. A lot of times, the best ones, the best Christians who talk to unbelievers that I know of actually ask a lot of questions about unbelievers. Ask, try to get inside their story. Try to understand who they are. And then raise interesting questions about Jesus that relate to what they've said about their own story. And never like, well, they're never looking for like the, the, the aha, gotcha moment where I've like made three logical moves and just got you to see that what you think about Jesus is false. That's, that's making ourselves the main character. Paul says, give that up. Give that up. That's your, you're a Christian. You have the right to say, I'm right. You do. But we give that up for the sake of winning others. Second thing, we serve the lost by speaking their language. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here. To the Jews, I, I, I can speak Jewish. He doesn't, he doesn't just mean like Aramaic, the language. But I can talk, I can, I, can, I can make sense of them because I've done the work to find, them, to, to find out what makes them tick. No Bible study building like this. Paul, when Paul preaches in a synagogue in, in, in the book of Acts, you got several sermons from Paul's in synagogues. So synagogues, all, lots, of Jews, lots of Jews. When Paul preaches in a synagogue, he's like quoting scripture. Bam, 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 bam. He's telling the story of Moses and of Abraham and of David. And he's like, you know, tons of Old Testament. When he preaches in the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17 with Greek philosophers, he does not mention one word of Old Testament scripture. He preaches Jesus, but the only two quotes he does in there are from Greek poets, from a Stoic poet and from, from, another, from another playwright. Now, what's he doing? Paul is saying, I've done the hard work to not make myself the main character. Here I am, here's what I believe, like it or lump it. I'm right and you're wrong. You don't wanna talk about this, just go away. Paul doesn't do this. He learns their language. Now, I was going to tell this story, and I can't really because um, the person's here was, who I was going to tell about. Uh, it's it's a, a lady that, if you're in my community group, you know who this is about because we talked about her on Wednesday night. And uh, I can't give you the details now, which kind of takes the, uh, takes the juice out of the illustration. But uh, my community group knows a lady who actively does this. Like, finds somebody that she wants to minister to. It's all very vague if you're trying to figure out who it is, it's like, just who cares who this is? She will find people that she wants to minister to and she will figure out what are they interested in and then she will immerse herself in that. I'm not gonna give you the exact things that she's immersed herself in because then, again, I don't wanna play the game of trying to figure out who this is. I didn't ask her permission if I could do this. If the person that she wants to minister to is interested in fly fishing, and she does not care anything about fly fishing. She will watch YouTube videos about fly fishing and read books about fly fishing 
so she can start to speak their language. That's what Paul is talking about. Well, you, why, why should I do that? I don't like fly fishing. Okay, you have a right to not be interested in fly fishing. Of course you do. But are you willing to give up that right to win this person who loves fly fishing? And that might be the personal connection that allows you into their life enough that they will open up a door and say, this person cares about me. I'll let them speak to my, my, my soul. That's the question. Are we willing to do that? Third thing, stop prioritizing freedom of religion over the proclamation of the gospel. Freedom of religion is valuable, super valuable. It's one of the best things about living in America is that we have freedom of religion. But a lot of times Christians think the point of being a Christian in America is to argue for freedom of religion. And you understand how that's a currency. You understand that, right? You're free to dislike me, but I'm also free to say what I wanna say. And so we don't really need to engage with each other because we can use freedoms as a currency. I'll let you say what you say, you let me say what I say. And that's why Christians, it's a way of saying, I won't get in your business. You stay out of my business. You can do what you want outside those doors. Inside here, though, we can worship Jesus. And Jesus is not gonna let us do that because Jesus isn't the God of inside these walls. Jesus is the God of all of Glen Carbon. And when we start using currency to say, you have your space, I'll have my space, we've given up on the gospel because all space is Jesus' space. Now, what's the price? The price is, if we give up that currency, we might get persecuted. Paul knows exactly what he's talking about. You realize he's gonna have his head chopped off at the end of this story for giving up the right of freedom of religion. Didn't necessarily give it up. Caesar never let him have it in the first place. But we all know, I mean, Jesus loses his life because there's no such thing as freedom of religion in the Roman Empire. You know that, right? What happens though? Within the space of 50 years, there are Christians as far north as Great Britain and as far south as Ethiopia, as far east as Persia, as far west as Spain. The Christian church doesn't need freedom of religion to grow. The Christian church doesn't need me to have my political rights in order to be powerful. In fact, the Christian church has often been its most powerful when it didn't have political rights, which is the point that I'm trying to make here. Cash in the currency, go for love. There's a price to pay, ourselves. We can't protect ourselves anymore. We have to give ourselves up. But when we do that, we're looking like the Jesus who became human being to empty himself and take upon himself the form of a servant, to be made in our likeness and to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God's highly exalted him. If we wanna to get to the exalted place, fighting for these little tiny pockets of freedom where we can be and do what we want is not gonna get there. The new creation will come when the cross of Jesus Christ is glorified which means the new creation will come when God's people carry about in their bodies the death of Jesus Christ all day long, 2 Corinthians. So that the power of Christ's resurrection can be seen in their bodies all day long. That's what Paul's talking about. Now, this is hard work. It's hard work to win athletic competitions. That's why Paul says, we wanna win lost people for Christ. And he goes to these final verses. Let me read these and this is the last thing will be done. It is hard work, but <clears throat> verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. That was the reward in the, uh, the ancient uh, um, Pythian games and the Olympic games were not medals, but like wreaths, uh, wreaths of honor that the winners could wear. But we, a, a wreath not that will wither over time, but a wreath that will never wither, the lives and souls of those who don't know Jesus, so I do not run aimlessly. I, I, that literally means I, don't, I run in my lane. I don't weave around the track. 
straight line for the finish line. I don't box as one beating the air. I'm not shadow boxing. When I box, I'm like punching people. He doesn't mean literally, of course. He just means I'm disciplining myself. Verse 27, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. It takes an inordinate amount of self, uh, self-control to say, I'm not gonna fight for my own rights. I'm gonna give them up for the weaker brother, chapter eight. I'm gonna give them up for the lost, chapter nine. I'm gonna give them up for the church, chapter nine. But by the power of Jesus Christ, it's there for us. We've been freed to not be tied down to sex, money, and power as currency. We've been freed to love like Jesus loves us. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us and for being good to us. Help, help us to be people who reflect that gospel, reflect the love of your son, Jesus Christ, for us in the way that we deal with each other, in the way that we're willing to give up our rights to love and serve each other. And by doing so, Father, help us to see this glory, the glory of um, your only begotten son. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.